Welcome to my Dream Log Cabin podcast, where we are keeping the dream alive by sharing stories of people who have achieved their dream of living in a log home. It seems now more than ever, people are longing to live remotely, or at least semi-remotely, which is why we are offering this show filled with inspiration, encouragement, and insider tips to help you live the log cabin life. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share. And most of all, always remember these important words offered by Albert Einstein. Never give up on what you really want. The person with big dreams is more powerful than one with all the facts. Now let's dig in. I'm your host, Lindsay Sutherland, and I want to start by taking a brief moment to thank our sponsor, Caribou Creek Log Homes. They've been building handcrafted log homes for people around the world since 1989. Today, our guest is Christine from North Idaho. Welcome, Christine, and thank you so much for letting us be in your home today. I'm truly honored and grateful to be here. Oh, thanks you. It's my pleasure to be here. Good. So tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of when did you first start thinking about the, the idea of getting a log cabin? Okay, well, I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, I'm Ukrainian. My parents came from Ukraine in 1950 after the war. Um, and that's where I got my love of log cabins. Um, Ukrainians live in log homes. And so I've, I saw pictures of homes in Ukraine when I was little, and it just became a dream of mine from way back to live in a log house someday. When you guys moved to America, did you live in a log home? No. No? Okay. No. <laughs> so you just had that picture. Did you guys used to go back to Ukraine and visit and see the old country or any uh, of that? No, no. My my parents couldn't because they would have been arrested by the Soviets. Mm. Um, my dad and his brothers were political activists, and my mom came from eastern Ukraine. And it's a little known fact, but uh, after the Second World War, uh, there were certain people from Eastern, well, Ukrainians from Eastern Ukraine were supposed to go back. There was a Molotov-Ribbentrop uh, agreement that was signed, Stalin and Churchill, uh, and just the way Germany was divided, Ukraine was quietly kind of separated out. Stalin wanted Eastern Ukraine because of the steel and coal mills. Mm. So my parents were not able to go back. We came to New York City, and that was it. We had to stay in America. And um, so uh, I just saw pictures of, of log houses. And Ukrainian log houses are a little bit different. Many, many times as, they, as the logs shrink, uh, Ukrainians would fill the cracks in with mud, mm. with clay mud, and uh, the floors were usually clay. And... Uh, if enough cracks developed, they would just put the clay, smear the clay all over the outside walls and the inside walls. So it was more like a stucco house. Okay. Um, and then they would paint the clay white. And both on the inside and the outside of the house, they would paint beautiful, beautiful pictures of flowers and birds mm. and, and uh, all fruits, uh, garlands of, of flowers and fruits. It was just lovely. Uh and there would be a special stove in the middle of the house, which 
I should have done in, in this house, but I never th dreamed I would be able to find anyone who could build a Ukrainian stove. Interesting, yeah. So in my house, I have a fireplace built by a 80-year-old Scottish stonemason who lived near Bonners Ferry at the time I was building my home. How cool is that? <laughs> what a neat story. And I bet those were so cheerful. <laughs> the houses <laughs> a beautiful picture. Okay, so, I mean... Obviously, if you if you had this dream as you were a little girl, then you must have been because the next question was, how long did it take you to accomplish your dream? So, I mean, that was a, a long journey you had within your heart it for was all a those long years. Dream, right, right. Yeah. Because when I when I grew up and I got married, um, it wasn't really any opportunity uh, being married to my husband, who was a physician. Uh, we had to live in a city or uh, where he was trained in Philadelphia and Albany, New York. Um, there wasn't much opportunity to live in a log house. And then when he practiced, he practiced in Spokane and we had to live close to, close to the hospital uh, so he could get in quickly in an emergency. Mm -hmm. So again, no, no, no way to live in a log home. But when my marriage started to get rocky and I was able to make decisions for myself, um, when I got separated, the first thing I did was, well, I have to live somewhere. And I bought some land in, uh, in Sandpoint, Idaho, and I started thinking about a log house again. Wow. So like many people that find Caribou Creek, you were at the very beginning stages. I mean, you right. had this dream, you wanted to make it a reality. Obviously, it was a really strong passion for you because now you're you're so committed to it. Here you are. <laughs> Here I am, 48 years old and still wanting to live in a log home. Right? Did you have any sort of like process that helped you find your home in Sandpoint? Was it, sometimes people get really um, hung up on where to go. They're not sure how to find the, the best place. I mean, did you have any sort of I don't know, journey that led you here to Sandpoint in this particular land? Uh, I, yeah, kind of. Um, I had I had lived most of my life in upstate New York, and it's very green there. Um, uh, hilly, I would say. Not uh, The Catskill Mountains are there, but they're very old and worn down, so they're very short, short mountains. And uh, so... Most of my life was spent in a very green, rolling type of um, terrain. And then my adult life, when I was raising kids, it was spent in Spokane, Washington, which was much too dry, too many pine trees, and just the air was too dry, the land was too dry. And I discovered that the Sandpoint area was a temperate rainforest and looked more like my beloved back east and was a lot less crowded and the land prices were good at the time that I was looking so uh, that was a pretty easy choice if I wanted to live in the west it was either going to be on the coast somewhere which I didn't really want to do because I had family in the Spokane area so yeah, Sandpoint was pretty much it. And also, I grew up on a lake, and okay. I wanted to be near water. Ah, that makes so sense. So that, really, yeah. that really clinched it, to have a 43-mile-long lake out in front. Yes. I didn't realize you were this close to the lake till I was driving in. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, beautiful. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it is. And I have my privacy. 
Yes, you do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have a great little spot. Okay. So, um, you were telling me before we kind of got started a little bit about how you came to find your builder and then the building process. So you've, you've, you've worked it out on the land. You've got your, you know, your dirt kind of getting ready. How did you go about deciding on the, the logs, the package for the logs? What, how, how did you find your builders? Right. So I started off uh, just looking up on the computer to see who built log homes. And it, it seemed like the commercial log business was all centered between Darby and Hamilton, Montana. So one day I took a drive out there with a picture of my house drawn on a napkin and <laughs> to find out whether it was possible to build a log house on this 12 acres I had just purchased. And I was kind of disappointed because it was uh, turned out to be very expensive. Um, every quote I got was 200,000 to 250,000 for the log package and that was way more than I could afford so um, I left there disappointed but not not discouraged um, and when I got home I started thinking that you know uh, these log home uh, builders in Montana all had very fancy showrooms and log houses with, that were on display and I thought well they have to support those and all the salespeople maybe I could find a smaller outfit or a mom-and-pop kind of uh, place that where just a couple of men built the home and I thought just try again but don't look at the bigger builders so I did and the next time I looked on the computer I saw oh there was a log home builders in Bonners Ferry and it was Caribou Creek and what impressed me were you know, I saw pictures of Mennonite men doing hand work on logs, which you hardly ever see. And um, as a matter of fact, all my logs were never sandblasted. I wouldn't let them do it. And all the ads, the draw knife marks are on the logs and all the marks and all the pencil marks that they wrote on, I wanted it all left on there. And so... Uh, when I when I took my picture to Bonners Ferry to Caribou Creek, they gave me a price I could live with, and I s cut the deal right then and there <laughs> that day. I didn't want to. I wrote the check right there. I said, "This yeah. is it. I want. I want to have a log house." And then I I told them I wanted kind of big logs, and they took me to their backyard, and they said, "Well, we've got these large spruce logs that." burned in a fire several years ago and they've been sitting here waiting for you and they were perfect they were really large and beautiful and sufficiently dry yep so we that's that's the logs they use that's wonderful and they are beautiful they're they're gorgeous you had your design kind of already figured out and then they built that how did you finish with you know everything else like as far as I know you mentioned your stonemason you were earlier, you were telling me about the flooring upstairs and some of the unique, did Caribou do the entire house? Like, did they general contract it or did you have other No, I had no there? idea. I, um, I had never built a house or been a contractor or anything like that. And so I was pretty new and green and raw. And I expected that Caribou Creek would do everything. And so I... 
I didn't really talk to them about it. I just expected that <laughs> they'd set the logs and then just keep going. And well, that actually happened. The logs got set and the sub, not the subflooring, but the uh, joists were all in. And they said, okay, well, we're going now. I said, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean you're going? And they said, yeah, the, we're done with this part. And, oh, my gosh, I had to call John Byler and say, oh, I don't know what to do next. I thought you were going to build the whole house. And he said, no, <laughs> this is it. So kindly, he set me up with a Mennonite builder who needed needed the work right then, and I needed a, a builder right then, <laughs> so we got together, and a man named Dan Koblenz finished the inside. Wow. A friend of mine who did tile work um, lived in Spokane Valley, and he had worked on my house in Spokane, and he came up and did all the cabinet work and the tile work. Nice. Yeah. So I that love was the Saltillo the tile. That's See, and that's so another really unique thing you don't see too often in log homes is, I mean, my dad was a flooring contractor, uh, so we would refer to it, of course, and we were in Arizona, so we would refer to it as a Mexican tile, right. especially with the, it may be Spanish is probably more appropriate, but our, our suppliers were actually from Mexico. Because oh, yeah, we were in Arizona. These, these tiles came directly from Nogales, Mexico. Awesome, <laughs> that's so wonderful. Yeah. And you wouldn't, I wouldn't have ever thought of putting them, but they look Stunning. I mean, it truly, and I love the border. Uh, I, of course, have an appreciation for floors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great yeah. being raised by him. Right, right. How long did it take from start to finish for everything to kind of get to a place where you could move in? Well, they set the logs uh, on October 5th. They brought the logs down on trucks and then started setting them. And that was October 1998, and in June of 1999, I moved in. Okay. They still had a little work to do, and they were coming back, but um, I was able to move in. I, by that time, I was I just wanted to be in my house. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't care if there was still stuff going on. <laughs> were, were you staying during the process while they were building? Oh, I was still living in my home in Spokane. Okay, so mm -hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So. So how did it feel when you finally got to, like, officially move in? And oh, unbelievable. It was unbelievable. <laughs> and I had um, these antiques that, you know, when I started moving them in, the builders were still here, and they kept looking at them kind of funny. But I think they had an inkling of what I was going to do because um, I had this door that I had them install, oh, which okay. is from uh, Pakistan. Wow. It's a temple door from Pakistan, and it arrived. I have a girlfriend who traveled all over the Middle East and uh, Far East, and uh, she had an import business. And uh, she was building a house outside of Helena, Montana, when I was building this, so she sent back some pillars. I have a pillar that's holding holding up the ceiling downstairs that's all carved wood like this, wow. and uh, these doors. And I'll tell you, they were surprised when this all this stuff arrived, and they were expected to put it in. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> so, well, well where's that going to go? Hey, you know, all that matters is your vision, because it definitely played out beautifully, and, I mean, it's stunning, so Thanks. it's beautiful. Um, if you could share some wisdom with listeners who may be dreaming of living in a log cabin like you did for so many years, what would you say is, you know, what would be your words, words of wisdom? Mm, I guess don't, don't give up on your dream. 
because you can make it happen. You might not make it happen with the first outfit you run into, but you know, keep keep looking and and you will find it. Um, there's no one better to work with than a Mennonite builder, so I would recommend Caribou Creek. Now, I think no matter where you are in the world, I know they've built log homes in Tasmania and everywhere. So, uh, you know, they're they're on the web and they're very easy to work with. Um, I, I couldn't have had a better experience. I had no experience building anything. And I think if... Um, if it weren't for their honesty and trustworthiness and their skill in home building, I would not have been such a happy person. Wonderful. So the last thing, Christine, is I was just wondering if um, you could share with us a little bit about your press. And I was reading some of your website and how you help poets who are trying to get a start. Um, I'd love to hear a little more about that. And I'm happy to share with the world, anybody listening that, you know, what you do. Sure. I founded a um, poetry press, oh, 28 years ago, and uh, I've been publishing poetry books. Uh, emerging poets who have not had books have a very difficult time getting published. Um, if they go to a bigger publisher, the bigger publisher says, come back when you have a book. And or get an agent. And in America, <laughs> um, you know, poetry books are really a hard sell. Um, Americans don't read poetry the way they do nonfiction and, and fiction books, so it's a little tougher to get published. It's definitely tougher to get a New York New York publisher. So most most poets have to deal with small presses like mine. So I try to publish um, at least two emerging poets a year, and then we publish um, more experienced poets who also have trouble getting wow. getting published. The same reason, because not not many Americans read poetry, and it's just a harder sell. And big publishers want big returns. Mm -hmm. So it's um, ninety five percent of the poetry in America is being released by small presses, tiny little presses like mine with one person or two or three pumping out books, books of uh, poetry or, or any kind of literary fiction, experimental work or flash fiction, things that the commercial publishers aren't willing to do. So um, I have a, I work with Native Americans and work with the Crow tribe and publish books and I'm working to um, get them set up with a press of their own. Uh, I have a human rights series that I work with um, women and disenfranchised poets to get the word out about about different causes. We've got uh, one book called Raising Lily Ledbetter that talks about women in the workplace and how women are still making 77 cents to a, a man's dollar. Um, there's a book called Nasty Women Poets that came about when uh, President Trump uh, called Hillary Clinton a nasty woman. This is a response from women poets. Um, I, and most recently I've come out with a line of translate uh, Ukrainian poetry and translation 
but they're dual language editions. So oh, on one side of the page, the poem's in Ukrainian, and on the other side of the page, it's in English. So they're used, these are books, now I have been to Ukraine, and these books are used in universities here in America to teach Ukrainian language, and in Ukraine to teach the English language. Oh, wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so what's your website? The website is www.losthorsepress.org. Wonderful. We're a nonprofit. Great. Hey, folks, that wraps up today's show. I want to thank you for tuning in and listening. We know there are so many people out there dreaming of living in a log cabin, and we just ask that you help them find us by subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review because this helps boost our show up and makes it easier for others to find us. Let's help each other achieve dreams. Also, we're always looking for people to share their log cabin story. Visit us at mydreamlogcabin.com to contact us if you would like to be a guest on our show. Once again, thanks for listening, and until next time, keep dreaming.